Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 7. And we're going to be in verse 8 through 16 this morning. And I have lost my connection to the PowerPoint. So you're driving today. And uh, see if you can figure out where we're going. <laughs> hey, well, no sleeping in the sound booth today. So when I was in junior high, um, one of the classes I took was wood shop. And uh, my junior high woodshop teacher spent the beginning of, the, of the, the semester going over all the safety rules for being in woodshop. And um, about like a month or two into the, into the semester, he cut his finger off on a bandsaw. <laughs> and he couldn't find it, and then somebody found it, and I'm not even going to go into how that went. But it was just kind of uh, an exclamation point when the woodshop teacher cuts his finger off. Um, that you should follow the safety instructions. And I don't know what he did, but if I was him, every year at the beginning of the semester, I would give the list of rules, and then I would hold up my hand and say, this is what happens if you don't pay attention. You know, um, I was thinking about uh, the passage this morning actually really hits home with me because um, th- we're going to see three things. First thing that we're going to see in this passage is that being single is good. It's good to be single if you are um, just unmarried, you've never been married. That is a good state that, that, that God uses powerfully. If you're a widow and your spouse has died and you have not remarried, like being single is a blessing. It is a good thing. And so we're going to see that um, a little bit this week. And in the coming weeks, uh, we'll see Paul talk about the benefit and the value of being single. And then the next thing that we're going to see is that marriage is permanent. Marriage is a good thing also. It is good to be married. And even when marriage is hard, believers don't split up. They don't get divorced. That is God's intention. And then the third thing we're going to see is this is one of the things I love about the Bible is it addresses everything. If you're single, the Bible talks to you. If you are um, in a hard marriage, the Bible talks to you. If you're in a good marriage, the Bible talks to you. If you've gone through a divorce, the Bible talks to you. But this last section is talking about, well, what happens when you end up with a believer married to an unbeliever? The Bible addresses that too. And for me, um, that's the home I grew up in. I grew up in a home with a mom who grew up in church, who said she was a Christian, and then married somebody who was not a Christian. And I lived that. And I got to see what that means. I got to understand how that feels. I got to understand how that impacts things. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that we are not defined by our sinful past. We're not defined by the things that when we dishonor or disobey God or when things go wrong in life and people sin against us and when our life unravels and sometimes it's because of us, sometimes it's because of someone else. But when that happens, if you are a Christian, you are not defined by that because God comes and he forgives and he restores. And one of the things that we have a tendency to do in the church is we want to skip everything that God says that might hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> like, I remember when I was first here, I was here like, I don't know, I wasn't here that long, and I said the word divorce. 
and uh, in church. And afterwards, everybody was coming to me saying, not everybody, but there were some people coming to me saying, you shouldn't say that. That hurts people's feelings who have been divorced. And I was just sitting there thinking about this, how I responded to them. I said, you know, I've never met a divorced person that says, I love divorce. I think divorce is a good idea. I mean, marriage is good, but divorce, that's really living as if you've been divorced. Like, I've never met anyone who says that. The people who would scream the loudest and say, don't get divorced, are people who have been through it. And so as Christians, uh, we recognize that the Bible addresses things. God calls us to live a certain way. And that is not necessarily all of our experience. But here's what we do know. What you've done before Christ, God forgives and restores. Um, What has happened even if you're a believer and living in sin and disregarding God is that it is never too late to repent. It is never too late to be forgiven and to be washed clean. And the story of your life is never defined by what you've done wrong or ways that you've fallen short. But I'll tell you what's really bad is when um, we approach life and when we approach the Bible and when we say, okay, let's not warn anybody about anything because it might hurt someone's feelings. And when we approach the Bible that way, then many people walk off the same cliff that we've walked off. And so we always want to be reminded, hey, this is what God says. I was thinking about Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, and it just says, remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That does not describe us as believers. The apostle Paul is saying that's who you used to be. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that amazing? How about a few weeks ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. Remember that passage where Paul gives a list of people who don't go to heaven? Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to read that again uh, today. And just so you know, I'm sure, in fact, I'm positive that if we were to make a list of these things and start writing people's names next to that who are described by this list, I'm just going to reach out there and say every single person in this room, their name would go next to one of these things. Let me read it. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom kingdom of God? Okay, all of our names go there, right? Unrighteous. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So every single one of us goes on a list, and our name is on the list of people who don't go to heaven. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. This is how he finishes that off. And he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Hey, isn't that powerful? Isn't that awesome? And so we can wholeheartedly embrace all these things that used to describe us. And we could say, I don't like that and I don't want that and I wish that that had never touched me. And we can be, we can go after people who might make those same mistakes or who might walk off into that same damaging life 
We can go after them and we could say, don't do that. This is what God says. And uh, that's where we're going to be today. So um, we're going to see three important things. First, singleness is good. Secondly, marriage is really good even when it's hard. And I just want to say this right up front in case you, I don't want you to miss this. If you're in a hard marriage, um, there's a lot of people who've had a hard marriage. This passage was written to Christian couples. And it was people who wanted to get divorced. So if you want to get divorced and you're a Christian couple, that means you're having a hard marriage. So the Bible addresses that. And I just want you to know marriage is good. It's an incredible blessing. That includes the hard things. But if you are in a hard marriage, this is what I want to say to you. Don't ignore it. Don't feel hopeless about it. Do something about it right now. Get help. Uh, Do something before it's too late. Often um, people struggle and they struggle and they struggle and then eventually 10, 15 years later, it's a disaster and think terrible things happen. And it's like, no, if you could have gone back 15 years earlier, five years earlier, and you could have started working on the things that God says you're supposed to work on, you would not be here today. And so take seriously your spiritual life and your marriage and those things. And... Um, if you are struggling in your marriage, just know you're, you're not alone. There's a lot of people who have a hard marriage. But I want to tell you this. There's also a lot of people who have a good marriage. And a good marriage is possible. And that's possible actually for anyone. So let's jump into this. And our title this morning is um, Understanding the Priority of Marriage. Let's think about how important marriage is. And uh, let me read our passage for today. The Apostle Paul says this. I'm going to start a few verses early. Um, We're going to look at verse 6. Paul says, now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. This verse 6, chapter 7, verse 6. And Paul's talking about saying singleness is good. He's not saying you have to stay single. He's saying that's one of your options is to be single. And also there's an option to be married. And one of the things I find is that when God gives people options, they have options. And, and as spiritual leaders and as uh, elders, we don't make other people's choices for them. If God says you can be single or you can be married, it is not our place to go say, you need to stay single or you need to be, that's a personal choice for people. And everything that God says in that way, we don't make other people's choices. It is our place to teach what God says. And when there's places where God doesn't give us options, it is our job as leaders, leaders to say, that's not an option for you. But where God gives options, there are options. Verse 6, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Verse 8, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, They should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So he's just saying, I'm quoting Jesus here. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest... I say, 
I not the Lord. So Paul's saying, now I'm giving new revelation. I'm not quoting Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through me. That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and if she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman who has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And what a powerful passage. And that speaks to us, and that speaks to our culture. And every time people live their life in a way that disregards God, that disobeys the things that God says, it brings brokenness, pain, and sorrow. In fact, it's interesting that often um, the consequences, just the natural consequences and results of disobeying God is its own punishment. You know, when I look around... Uh, at the church, not just Foothills Church, but the church in general. It's interesting, I often don't see people that are suffering for righteousness. And, and it's not that there's not suffering for righteousness, but when you like go to other countries, you see these faithful people living from the, for the Lord. They're being persecuted, tormented, killed. In the United States, as you look across the church, I see all kinds of brokenness, pain, sorrow, that comes from disobeying God. And one of the most important things that we can do for our kids is to teach them all the things that God says they're supposed to do. There are some people that just say, oh, oh just teach, teach about the love of God. Uh, yeah, we should teach about that, but you want to know what else we should teach? Every single thing God says, don't do this, do this. Like we need to teach people everything God says because number one, when we do that, they are receiving God's wisdom, his blessing. Hey, this is the path that God has designed for you. And often when we skip the law, and we have to understand that correctly as it relates to the Old Testament, but when we skip teaching people what God says, we curse them by not allowing them to know what's good and what's not good. The other thing that we do is we rob them of the gospel. Because as we teach all the things that God says us that we should do, what, do we all, what, what would we all recognize if we knew all the things God said? We'd realize I've disobeyed God. I'm in sin. I'm in trouble. Look at all these wrong things that I've done. I mean, Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when we teach our kids everything that God says, we're teaching them God's wisdom, but we're also teaching them that they fall short and that they need Jesus. And so as we try to say, oh, let's just tell everybody that God loves them, we actually keep people out of heaven. That's only part of what we teach people. And uh, so, let's look at this first thing. It's marriage is not the only and highest state for believers. You know, there's a lot of churches that uh, single people show up and they go, man, this whole church 
church, everything is geared toward married people. And as a single person, I feel left out. I just want you to know, if you're single, you're not left out. The Bible says that's a good thing. The Bible addresses that. The church is full of single people. I mean, all of our kids are single, right? So, like, there's a bunch of single people in the church. And if you're single and you're younger, you're single than older, you should not feel left out. Um, God doesn't leave you out. God has a special, unique plan for you. So marriage is not the only state for faithful people, and it's not the highest state. God exalts singleness, but God also exalts marriage. They are both important. Let me read uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 1. Now concerning the matters about which I wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And Paul's just using that because sexual relations and marriage go together. And so if you're not married, you're not having sex. That's God's plan. If you are married, you are having sex. That is God's plan. So sexual activity in the Bible, as it talks about it, unless it's a sin, it is part of marriage. And that's a good thing. And often we raise people and we just say it's bad, don't do it. And we, ha- we, we, we raise people with like all kinds of hang-ups. Instead of saying this is an incredible blessing, it is an incredible gift but God intends it for marriage. And so we need to be teaching that. And Paul's here in verse one is just saying, it's good to be celibate and single. That's a good thing. Verse six, I say this is by way of concession, not a command. I wish that all were as I myself am. Each has his own gift. Singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift. And some of one kind, some of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better, better to marry than to burn with passion. You know, singleness is a gift. And I think uh, there's some verses you could put up there on the screen. Paul talks about why singleness is good. There are a ton of people who are single in our country and in other countries for all the wrong reasons. They're single because they don't want the inconvenience of kids. They're single because they want to just be able to spend money and go on vacations. They're, they're single because they don't want the responsibilities of marriage. The Bible says that's not why you should be single. If you're single, it's so that you can be more faithful, more committed to serving the Lord. You know, there's people who, like, being a pastor is an incredible gift. And often when people are looking for pastors, they'll say they have to be married and they have to have kids. And that's a good thing because you can relate to other people that are married and other people that have kids. In fact, how you raise your kids is a measure of your fitness for ministry. So that's a fair qualification to have, but guess what? If every search committee had that as their thing, the Apostle Paul could not be a pastor of a church. That'd be a mistake. Jesus could not have been the pastor of a church. That's a problem. When we come up with a list that disqualifies Paul and disqualifies Jesus, we've made a mistake. Singleness is good. And there's a lot of times there's more I want to do. But if I did that, I'd be neglecting my own kids when my kids were growing up. So I said no to a lot of good things because I had kids, and that was a priority God gave me. I said no to a lot of things because if I did them, it would have damaged my relationship with Michelle, which is a priority. And so I had, and every married person has burdens, has responsibilities, things that they need to do. And there's a good side of that stuff, right? 
You come talk to me about your marriage problems. I understand. I've had them personally. Come talk to me about the struggles you're having with your kids. I understand. I've gone through that. But you know, it's an incredible blessing to have the freedom to not be constrained by those things and to live wholeheartedly and only for the concerns of Christ. And that's the blessing of being single. Look at this passage. I want you to be, Paul gives his reason later. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. And he goes on to say the married man's got to worry about pleasing his wife, which we'll get to that later. (laughs) If you're married, you need to please your wife. Paul says that, but not this week, in the future. Uh, Verse 34, the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. But he goes on to say if you're married and you're a woman, then you've got to also be concerned about your wife, your husband. So um, singleness is good. You want to know what else the Bible tells us? Forbidding marriage is satanic. And throw out the next verse here. You ever think about that? You know of anybody who says if you're in ministry, if you're a spiritual leader, you can't get married? You ever heard that? I mean, like the Pope, right? He's not married. (laughs) Catholic priests are not married. Did you know? Yeah, nuns. Do you know what is satanic to forbid marriage? That is a satanic thing. Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. What are those teachings? Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage. Um, It is sinful to forbid marriage. The Bible assumes that spiritual leaders will be married. Now, obviously, Paul wasn't married. And Jesus wasn't married. So that is not a requirement. But the assumption of the Bible is that spiritual leaders are married. Look at the next verse or the next uh, slide. Um, Paul's talking about Peter, supposedly the first pope. And he says, do we not all have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles? Paul didn't have a believing wife. But the other apostles had a believing wife, and they took them along with them in their ministry. They didn't abandon their spouse and go do ministry without them. They brought their spouse with them. And the brothers of the Lord, that's James who wrote the book of James. That's Jude who wrote the book of Jude. Jesus' half-brothers all got married and took their wives with them in ministry. And guess who else? And Cephas. Did you know Cephas is Peter's name? So Peter was married and traveled with his wife. One of the miracles Jesus did was to heal Peter's mother-in-law in in the Gospels. So forbidding marriage is sinful, but singleness is also good and has its benefits. Here's a second thing. Believers stay married even when it's hard. Believers stay married even when it's hard. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 2, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And we talked about how God's made us with a sexual desire. That is not ruling. 
We are not animals. We do not have to follow every impulse that we have. In fact, we're required to say no to impulses. And if you're single, it doesn't matter how strong your sex drive is. You say no to it. And that's not true for just true for single people. That's true for anybody. Any sexual desire that is contrary to what God says, we say no to. And so, but that is something that God gave us, and there is an appropriate expression for it, and that's marriage. And then he goes on, and he says, verse 9, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. You know, burning with passion when you're married, like that could be a distraction in life. I've known people who can't function in life. Everywhere they go, they see, oh, everybody's married except me. Everywhere they go, they just have this overwhelming desire. It's a part of every conversation. It's a part of every thought. And it just totally rules them. And they go into a crowd of married people and they feel left out. And it's like it's just this overcoming thing. And they have all these struggles in their life. You know what Paul would say? Don't be distracted. Just go get married. It's so funny. There are churches that have like singles groups. And you got like 25 men who are single. And they're crying and whining, and, oh, I'm single. I just wish I was married. There's no one to marry. And then you got these 25 women sitting on the other side of the room saying, it's terrible. I'm not married. I'm single. I heard one pastor say, why don't you guys look up from the floor, look across the room, and just marry each other. Like you're Christians. You're both whining about being single. Get married. I had this one roommate um, before I went, you know, just like right after I became a Christian, he was really mad at me. And I didn't know why. I said, what are you mad at me for? And he's like, you have a girlfriend and I don't. And I said, I don't have a girlfriend. I'm not dating anybody. He goes, yeah, but you could if you wanted to. <laughs> like this guy's life was overcome by the fact that he was single. Don't do that. Focus on the Lord with your gifts. And if, you're, and, and, and if there's other reasons, get married only in the Lord. So marriage is a gift. You know, Proverbs says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be intoxicated by your love. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 31.10, an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. By the way, uh, Solomon's writing that to his sons, which is why he says wives are good. If he was writing to his daughters, he would have said husbands are good. Marriage is a blessing. It's something that God esteems and says we should do. In fact, God says it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And then he made Eve, right? Um, Marriage is good. And marriage is intended to be permanent. And when I say permanent, that's, I should rephrase that. Marriage is intended to be lifelong. You know marriage is not permanent because if your spouse dies, you're not married to them anymore. We'll get to that later in this chapter. And you can get remarried. But also, um, when we die and when we, when we go to heaven, we won't be married. Like, marriage is only for this life, so I'm just saying, enjoy it while you can. It's not going to be for eternity. But marriage is meant to be lifelong. Look at verse 10. And he's talking here to married Christians. 
And, um, and, and we know that because he's already addressed single people and widows. And then he's going to later address people that are married to an unbeliever. He is right here talking to married Christians who have not been unfaithful to each other. So he's talking to people that are not dealing with sexual unfaithfulness. And we know that by what he says. He's just talking to married people who are struggling in their marriage. So the Corinthians have written Paul these letters. And they're saying, hey, what do we do in this situation? I'm, I'm, my life is melting down. I can't function. I can't stand being married to the person I'm married to. What should I do? And Paul's going to answer that question. And in verse 10, he says, to the married Christians who have not dealt with um, infidelity in their marriage. I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So he's going to quote Jesus. He's going to take what Jesus says, and he is going to quote part of it. And the reason he's quoting part of it is because only part of what Jesus says applies to their situation. So he's just applying what Jesus says. This is what Jesus says. This is how it's supposed to work out in your life. He says, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And that word for divorce is to abandon. And so he's saying to the wives, don't separate from your spouse. And in his culture, if a husband leaves a, a wife, that's abandoning them. They're going to struggle financially. They're going to have a hard time in life. And he's saying, don't do that. Now, how do we know he's talking to people who have not dealt with infidelity? We know that because he doesn't quote the other part of what Jesus said, which is that there is a reason for divorce. And so we'll talk about that. But this is encouraging, right? That if you struggle in your marriage, you're not the only one. The Corinthians were struggling in their marriage. And Paul says, don't, break, don't give up on it. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 9. And that says, whatever God has joined together, let man not separate. You know, people think that marriage is an agreement between two people. It's not. Marriage is a commitment to God. And the Bible in the Old Testament and everywhere in Scripture says you keep your promises to God. Yes, you should keep your promises to other people. But when you make a commitment to the Lord, you don't violate that. You don't promise God something. In fact, in Malachi, it talks about divorce, and it says your crops aren't growing, and rain is not falling on the earth, and your lives are a mess, and you want to know what the reason God gives? Because you have been faithless to the wife of your youth. You promised to stay married. You made a commitment to get married, and you divorced your spouses, and so for that reason, there's no rain for that reason, um, there's no crops. I am punishing you because you're getting divorced. God takes that seriously, and he says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have said, I blew it. I married the wrong person. God's will was for me to marry somebody else, but I have made a big mistake you want to know what I tell them? Every single one of them? You know for sure whose will it is for you to marry because you're married to them. The, the moment you have a wedding ceremony, the moment you get married, that is absolutely for certain the person that God intends you to be married to. So that is God's will. You did marry the right person. And I'm gonna, let me just throw this out there. 
even if you married the wrong person, you married the right person. It became the right person the moment that you got married. What God has joined together, let not man separate. And um, marriage is hard. It's hard. That's why the disciples ask this question is, uh, you know, (laughs) that friend of mine that couldn't function. I'm just going to tell you right now, I have met so many people who in their 20s, 30s, and 40s were just in agony about being married. And then they rush off and they marry somebody that they shouldn't be marrying. For example, uh, they marry an unbeliever. That's a disaster. Or they marry a person who goes to church who says they're a Christian, but when you look at their life, there is no pattern of obedience. There is no pattern of faithfulness. I always told my kids when they were dating, now, you want to date somebody? If they start going to church after you start dating them, that is a disaster. Get away from that person. Um, when you're thinking about dating somebody or marrying somebody, do they go to church? Are they faithfully involved? Not just do they show up here and there. Where are they serving? Do they teach Sunday school? Are they involved in worship? Does their life demonstrate that they love God, that they're obeying God, they're plugged in in church in a healthy way? And if they're not doing that without you, it won't matter if they do it while you're dating because they're doing that so they can marry you. I mean, it's like I can't tell you how often uh, a guy and girl are kind of hanging out together. Like this is a story over my last 30 years of ministry that's happened over and over and over. And it's like these two people are kind of enjoying each other's company. And then the guy says, hey, can we date? And the girl says, "Um, no, because you're not a Christian. Or they're dating, and the person says, can we get engaged? Well, no, because I have to only marry a Christian. You want to know what is this amazing salvation miracle every time that happens? Uh, Well, it's shocking. They went to church the next week, and they got saved. Like, does it really take brain surgery to look at this and figure out what's going on? You don't marry people who become Christians because they want to date you or marry you. You find somebody whose life is characterized by a commitment to honor and obey God. And that's the person you marry. And you want to know who's filled with suffering and pain and anxiety and difficulty and unfaithfulness and all kinds of problems? All the people who ignore what God says about being equally yoked. That's what follows. It's not to say that God's not gracious. You know, the, the Bible talked about this. Matthew 19, 9, Jesus is going to talk to his disciples and he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. I mean, what a pessimistic view of marriage, right? Oh, wait, you can only get divorced in the case of adultery? Well, don't get married. They must have looked around and go, man, look at all these miserable people married to have terrible marriages. Their life is a nightmare. I mean, nobody's been unfaithful, but it's miserable to be in that. You mean they can't get divorced if they're in abject misery and their their whole life is just a disaster and they're depressed and they're sad all the time and everything about marriage is going wrong? 
well, if adultery is the only reason to get married, man, nobody should get married. And, and Jesus says the same thing Paul says. Um, he just goes on and he says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. It's hard to be single. And not everybody can be single. Now, I want you to think about misery in marriage. I want you to think about if you've ever experienced it or if you've ever seen it with another person. Um, you ever seen people in a, in a marriage where they're married to somebody who's very impatient? You ever seen people who are married to somebody who is unkind to them? You ever seen a marriage where people envy? Hey, that's not fair. How come you're getting credit? I'm not getting the credit. Hey, somebody likes you instead of likes me. Hey, this isn't fair. This good thing happened to you. It didn't happen to me. Isn't it crazy that people can be married and actually feel that way toward the spouse? Ever been in a marriage where, seen a marriage where one of the spouses just boasts and is arrogant or when they're rude to their spouse or when they insist on their own way? They just live a marriage and this person's just totally selfish. They're irritable. Ever seen people in marriages where they're just irritable? They're resentful. They can list off everything their spouse has ever done wrong to them. Sometimes you go to Bible studies and ladies will all get together or men will all get together and they'll just like express all the woes of marriage. Oh, and they'll top each other talking about how terrible their spouses are. That's because they're resentful. And they enjoy sinfulness. You ever see marriages where one of the spouses just like sin is actually something they enjoy? Or they're committed to things that are not right? Um, they don't put up with anything. Yeah, any, anything that happens, they just don't put up with it. Um, they always see the other person in the worst light. No matter what the other person does, they always see them in the worst light. Um, they give up whenever things are hard. They just give up on that situation. And ultimately, they just give up on the marriage as a whole. You ever seen marriages characterized by that kind of thing? I just want you to know that that's a reality. That is a tragedy. There are people who are in agony every single day because of that. And, and we should not as a church and as Christians be uncompassionate and uncaring about people who live that. And there are many people who live that. You want to know what Paul's response is to that? Stay married. That's his response to that list. Stay married. Now, he doesn't say to Christians, stay married and keep living that. That is not what he says. That's what God's word does, is it tells us what we're supposed to do instead. That's why God gives pastors so that they can train and, and lead and encourage and help. That's why God gives elders so that they can step in and get involved and come alongside and encourage and help. And that's what the body of Christ is for. Because it's not just pastors. It is not just elders that have gone through that and that know what God says and can help people going through that. Every single person in the church is supposed to be that. Those Bible studies where everybody sits around and rips on their spouse, talks about, oh, they're so terrible, and look when they try to top each other. We're supposed to be walking into Bible studies like that. And when a person shares those things, we pray for them, we love them, we encourage them. It doesn't have to be that way. And here's what you, God, says you're supposed to do. You want to know what everybody's really good at? 
figuring out what the other person's supposed to do. You know, the Bible's full of instructions about what husbands are supposed to do if they're in a terrible marriage. And the Bible is full of instructions about what wives are supposed to do if they're in a terrible marriage. So if, if you're sitting in a Bible study and all the men are complaining about their wife, we should be reading all the passages about what the Bible says men are supposed to do. And if you go to a women's Bible study where all the women are sitting around talking about how terrible their husband is, we should be reading all the verses about what God says women are supposed to do when marriage is hard. I'm going to read a few of those to you this morning. You, you want to hear them? First of all, you know that list I gave you a second ago? You know how I came up with it? I just read 1 Corinthians 13, which describes love. And then I just put the opposite in there. Because if you love people, if you do biblical love, you will not do any of the things that I just mentioned that are in a bad marriage. In fact, love is patient, kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and it never ends. So God's kind of given us the instructions of this is what you're supposed to do. Do you want to know why marriages are so bad? I'm going to give you one reason. There's a bunch of them, but I'm going to give you one. One reason marriages are so bad is because when people are raising their kids, they don't teach them to love their siblings. And so you have people that are irritable, resentful, selfish to their siblings and then they grow up and get married, and they live out what they've been trained to do as kids. And what we're supposed to be doing is saying, this is what God says Christians are like. Now, let me help you apply that with your sibling when they're trying to take your toys. This is how you're supposed to think. And so actually people are supposed to, this is what we're supposed to be doing in our families and it's what we're supposed to be doing in the church is we help people practice and create habits that honor God in their life. But instead, we look at a bunch of kids that are out of control and we just go, yeah, no, that's normal. That's how kids are. They'll grow out of it. No, they don't. That's why so many bad marriages out there, because people don't grow out of it. They're just not fighting with their siblings. Now they're fighting with their spouse. And we see teenagers, oh, they're rebellious. Rebellion's a natural, normal part of teenage development. Not if your teenagers are Christians, it's not. If you have unbelieving teenagers, of course they're rebel. That's what non-Christians do. But Christians don't do That's actually partly how do you know if your kids are Christians? How do you know if your, your teenagers are Christians? They, in their heart, they have a desire to love and obey God. A Christian eight-year-old will say, my brother's made in God's image and I want to please the Lord in how I treat my brother or my sister. So you don't know if your kid's a Christian by whether they prayed in Sunday school. Look at their life. Do they show evidence of spiritual regeneration in their heart. Well, I'll share toys because my parents will give me candy if I do. I'll share my toys because I have to go to my room if I don't share my toys. By the way, 
um, we should punish bad behavior as part of how we help create habits. But what we're looking for is not somebody who does the right thing because they just want something different. They're totally selfish. Um, What do I want more? A piece of candy or to share with my brother? Oh, okay, I want the candy. All right, I'll share. But if they don't want the candy, they're not sharing. So we train people to just be self-centered and selfish in how we live, they live, and we try to modify their behavior by doing all these things to selfishly motivate them to do the right thing instead of teaching them, this is what God says, and this is how you need to think. And by the way, if you don't want to share, that's a sin. When you treat your sibling in a, in a bad way, you are insulting his maker, Because he's made in God's image and God intends that you treat your sibling with the same love that you have for Jesus. And then, and if you don't do that, that's a disaster. You're going to be separated from God. God's angry when you treat people that way. Matthew 25, right? Where it talks about the judgment and God says, in that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. God takes personally how we treat other people in that you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And so what are we doing when we teach kids? We are actually helping them create habits that will bless them, and we are laying a foundation for the gospel. If you don't know you're lost, how are you ever going to get saved? And yet we have so many people that just want to say, oh, God loves you, and don't tell anybody what the Bible says, don't tell them the Ten Commandments, don't tell them any of the things that God requires which is why we have so many people that grow up calling themselves Christians but don't know the Lord. Instead of saying, no, you know what, you are lost, but guess what? You're not the only one who's lost. Mom and dad, we're lost too, right? You ever see us be selfish? You ever seen us fight? And so we also have problems. We are also sinners separated from God. But the good news is that because of Jesus, we can be reconciled. We can be transformed. And me and mom used to be way more selfish than we are today because we have the Holy Spirit in us that helps us. And right now you're selfish and you are under God's wrath and you are separated from God. But you want to know what the good news is? The good news is that the same way Jesus transforms and forgives mom and dad, he can transform and forgive you. I'll never forget John. He's laying in bed. He's about eight years old. We're talking over the gospel. And John just says, where am I going to go when I die? And guess what? John wasn't a Christian. I told him, well, when you die, you're going to hell, John. You're going to be separated from God. And people are like, you just told your eight-year-old that, that's going to damage his self-esteem. No, you want to know something? That was the truth. And we don't lie to people. We tell them the truth. And then John says, and John says, well, why? Why am I going to hell? And I listed off all the things I'd seen him do recently that were sinful. And I said, that separates you from God. That's sin. And he says, well, Dad, what's going to happen to you when you die? And I said, well, I'm going to heaven. And he's like, uh, Why? And I told him about Jesus, and I told him what Jesus did for me. You want to know what I didn't do? I didn't then say, hey, John, pray a prayer, (laughs) because he would have done it. I was just praying that God would work in his heart. I was telling him the truth every time he asked me any questions. And then at a certain point, John did pray to receive Christ. And then we looked at his life, and we just said, 
do I see evidence in your life of spiritual regeneration? Do I notice that you do the right thing simply to please God, not just to avoid punishment and not just to get some kind of a reward, but because in your heart you have a desire to obey? For our kids, when we're trying to figure out, do they know the Lord, do they not know the Lord, that is always what we were asking. Not do I remember them playing a, praying a prayer, but what do I see as the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their heart? And everything about our parenting was pointing our kids to Christ, trying to create good habits in their life so that one day when they get saved and they get married, okay, now we're back to marriage, it would be easier, not easy, but easier for them to live in a marriage the way God intends that they live in a marriage. Why? I want my kids to have a good marriage. I want them to have all the blessings that God intends for them to have in this incredible gift that God has given them. I want their spouse to be blessed by being married to them. And um, hey, marriage wasn't easy for us, and I'm sure it's not easy for any of our kids, um, the two that are married, although, you know, sometimes it seems like it's easy for them. I'm going to read uh, Ephesians. Actually, I'm not going to read Ephesians this week, but next week, I want to look at what God says we're supposed to be like in our marriage toward each other. Next week, we will talk about what do you do in an unequally yoked family? Why is it so important that we don't marry unbelievers? And, and, and how does God work in redeeming marriages between two people that are not both believers. How does God work in that? Um, God's mercy and grace is so powerful. It is so redemptive. It is something that we can just embrace. And uh, there's nothing better than being in a place where we are teamed up with other people around us who love God, who want to honor God, who want to please the Lord in their life. And I just want you to know, I don't care where you are. I don't care what you're struggling with. If you're in a bad marriage, in Christ, there is hope. If your marriage is good, but you're struggling, it can be even better. And the answer is always, let's know what God says. Let's do what God says. And let's live our lives under God's grace mercy and forgiveness. And that same mercy and grace and forgiveness that God gives us is what we pour out on our spouse when they're not all that they should be. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for your kindness, the way you love us, the way you give us very clear instructions in scripture. Lord, we have heard so many foolish things about marriage, about raising kids, uh, Lord, when we look around, we see the brokenness of families who have failed to embrace your truth, who have looked into the world and secular psychology and all these other places for wisdom. And Lord, as they live their lives, it just results in brokenness and pain and sorrow. God, I just thank you so much that you love us, that you've given us wisdom, that you've given us very specific instructions. God, help us to live those out personally. God, help us to love and be merciful and gracious and forgiving and kind and encouraging to other people who are struggling with the same things we struggle with. 
And Lord, I just thank you for just your love in your name. Amen.